Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Spartan Speak, a weekly podcast of the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, podcast producer, and sports writer for the LSJ, joined by free beat writer Chris Solari and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch. Guys, it's been a month or so. What have you guys been doing? Why have you guys been skipping out on me here? Uh, Growing a beard. That's about it. That's all I've been doing. Some of us shaved our heads. Phil, you look good, man. I'll be honest. like People can't see this, but Phil has a... A full beard with a shaved head, and and it is you went from quite an ugly man to somebody I'm fairly attracted to, and um, I, I really that's all I can say about it. There's a fear factor now. I mean, you know, he went from the catchy guy in the rated R movie. Yeah, I went from Mr. Chips to uh, drug kingpin Walter White. Ladies <laughs> like that. Ladies <laughs> like the danger look. Yeah. I mean, it was mostly just born out of the complete fact that I was tired of having my hair long and was never going to get it cut anytime soon, so I had to make an executive decision, and that decision was to just get rid of it all, and we'll go from there. I think it's going to come back eventually. I know, Graham, you've been clamoring that I should keep this look, but this is just temporary. This is this is the quarantine look for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah your regular look wasn't that good. I'm telling you, once you shave your well, head, you won't go back. Unfortunately, I think the ladies of Tinder and, and the, the Lansing dating thing agreed with your assessment, Graham, about <laughs> about the previous look. That's for a different podcast. Oh, okay, yes. that, that's a that's a summer that's a summer podcast. All right, uh, we got a little bit here to talk about. It's been roughly a month since we last convened here. Uh, what we will talk about today is uh, MSU's football's commits over the past two weeks or so. We've seen six players commit. We'll talk about those guys and what could be coming forward and how we think Mel Tucker is recruiting on the whole. We will then follow that up with a NFL draft preview. It seems like there's going to be five MSU players that have a pretty good chance of getting drafted. We'll assess their chances and then talk about some of the other guys who could get undrafted free agent contracts. Then we'll talk MSU basketball recruiting. Kareem Mane and Pierre Brooks are high-level basketball recruits who are going to make some decisions here very soon, and we'll see if Michigan State can actually land them. And then after that, we will answer your Twitter questions. All right, let's start with football and Michigan State and their commits. As I said, in the past two weeks, they've landed six commits. Uh, Antoine Booth, a cornerback from DeMatha Catholic, and that happened yesterday. Tyson Watson from Warren Mott. He's a defensive end. Derek Harmon, a defensive tackle from Detroit Loyola. Ethan Boyd, an offensive lineman from East Lansing High School. Davion Prim, a running back from Oak Park. And Gabe Neely, a safety from Gulliver Prep. Chris, I'm going to start with you here. How do you kind of assess the six guys that they've landed so far for that 2021 class? Well, I think there's three guys in particular that in in Watts and Harmon and Prim where you look at them and that's the immediate impact I think that Mel Tucker's making. I mean, all these guys are three-star guys, but to get back into Detroit um, to show that you've got a presence um, at, at three schools that are right there around the city uh, is a big step. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any secret that that the the Mark D'Antonio, 
Uh, Curtis Blackwell situation had some impact on recruiting. How much? I'm not really certain, but but there was a there was a a, a backing off from some of the kids inside Detroit, a backing off from the Michigan State program at times. Um, so this was a big step. I think those three things in particular were big steps. And I, I think when you also look at at going into Florida as an area that D'Antonio's staff really didn't do. So you get a guy like Neely who's on the rise at that in, in that area. That's a big get. And that opens up some channels there as well as getting Antoine Booth from, from DeMatha Catholic, which, you know, that's an athletic factory. I mean, it's also where uh, Darian Harris is from. Uh, Carlton Valentine played basketball there. So um, it's a, certainly there's there's some 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 benefits to getting into those areas. Yeah, I, I agree with Chris on, on all these points, really. I think what, what, what stands out to me is, and, and these aren't four-star, five-star kids. They're, they're three-star kids. But they're the sort of kids that they were losing to Cincinnati and Kentucky and three-star, high three, low four type player. And these are players also that they're offered, they've offered early and gotten commitments from, meaning they were coveted. These weren't fallback guys. You know, if these guys were committing in, uh, you know, September, October, and they were three-star guys, sometimes they're, they weren't your first option at a position or something like that. And so that that speaks to it a little bit. But I, I thought, like, Ethan Boyd, that, that that's important. If you're trying to rebuild an offensive line and you've got a kid who's a Big Ten caliber offensive tackle in your backyard, you, you better get that kid. And if you don't, you, you don't want another situation with a Taylor Moten who winds up at Western Michigan and winds up a second-round pick in the NFL – uh, you need to make sure you get those guys. Uh, I agree with Chris on the Florida thing. I think that's an area that, that they need to be. And uh, and certainly a guy like um, Gabe Neely, who's, what, 6'4", he's going to play corner, it sounds like. I mean, that, that's an interesting interesting prospect. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see if they do start landing some four-stars, some guys that they're up against, some behemoths for. But they're also in year one. This is a weird recruiting year, and, and you're selling a bit of a dream. But you don't have a, you know, you d- you don't have proof to sell yet either. Yeah, and the other thing about that is Mel Tucker doesn't have a, a body of work yet to sell. I mean, that's right. the one thing about having a one-year head coach at Colorado as your first job. I mean, you've got the pedigree with having coached in the NFL uh, at various spots and being a coordinator in there and uh, being a coordinator at the college level. But you only have that one stop in Colorado to really kind of, kind of sell kids on right now. Um, well, he's got the he's got the Georgia thing too. I think a little bit. I think well, that obviously helps. I mean, uh, you know, his his path there. I mean, you know, kids want to play for someone who has has coached in the NFL uh, and can get them to that next level. They want to play for someone who's pl- coached it in a championship caliber environment. I think that's a big reason that. That uh, D'Antonio, after the, you know, he he had that. I mean, he had that the the program at that point. But more importantly, I still think the NFL is is a bigger factor. You know, that that on the resume to these kids who want to get there it is a little more important than you know having coached at another school. And and you're selling the one thing about year one, and sometimes it's never easier than year one in certain respects. Is when you're selling the dream, there's no blemish on the dream. There's no you know, because even if, even if you've got a you know, Mel Tucker will have a honeymoon period, moon period that and that might even grow given the pandemic we're in now and, and the lack of run up he's really getting. Uh, that might, but the the other thing that happens is you, you can have a situation like Arizona State 
or Illinois where your team collapses or you don't handle late game situations well and there's just a little bit of bloom off the rose or you have a year even if it's totally understandable where you go five and seven he doesn't have any of that right now when you're selling the dream it's fresh you can sell whatever you want right now and there's no counter to it yeah, one of the things I've noticed from this class so far is, I mean, other people pointed this out too, but they're they're bigger guys, and that includes the running backs and the and the DBs as well. You know, you talked about Neely being six four, one seventy five. I mean, that's that's some size for for defensive back, and that kind of really fits into what Michigan State kind of just I think wants to do with their defensive backfield. Yeah, and he's talked about that. I mean, he talked about that coming in. He wants bigger, faster, stronger kind of guys, and that's that to me is more of the NFL pedigree, and that's what you know. I mean, that, that comes from the Nick Saban tree. I think that, you know, Mark Antonio took that approach early on in his tenure uh, from the John L. Smith era. Um, and people kind of forget that, uh, you know, that that players were a little smaller when they went to that spread offense. And, you know, D'Antonio got back to that heavy run game. And, you know, it, I think it's going to be interesting to see how just he how he builds his his program into his like to, to his liking. I'm really curious to see if there is because what you don't have yet, though. And I'll be curious, there's going to be one in the class, I would think, is sort of the, the person that's the headliner, right? And I'm curious to see when and if that person is and at what position the Devontae Dobbs. That was your headliner of a class, right? A, a guy who, I'm curious to see when and, and, and if he gets that. Well, and that's the other thing is, you know, you look at the, I mean, all these guys, even in the state of Michigan right now, um, you know, the, the, the highest rated guy is Tyson, according to 24-7, is Tyson Watson. Uh, who's kind of an up-and-coming, big, rangy DN, but um, you know he's the 16th best player in this class according to 24/7. You know, you look at the other guys, uh, the other guys above him, and Michigan State's not in on them. You know, the only guy there is is Boyd's teammate Andrell Anthony. You know that, so you know that that connection to East Lansing uh, will be interesting to see if that pays off uh, for for landing Andrell Anthony. Uh, who's a guy, I mean, Phil, you've seen him, a uh, receiver. He seems to have some speed and some size to him that, I mean, I guess, you know, but th- there's other guys above them that that aren't quite yet buying in, um, aren't quite, you know, maybe because it's of, of Mel Tucker getting the job in February versus, uh, you know, before that there wasn't a chance to, to really make connections with some of those 2021 guys in person. And they were just getting to that point when everything got shut down by the big 10. Yeah. I think the thing that's interesting to me is that although it seems like these three-star guys have are, are higher three-star guys, uh, they're the, the overall class so far is on the average is still rated below last year's class in the 24 seven sports composite ranking. And I mean, do we think it's going to come up? Are they going to, is he going to land those one or two four-star guys that really kind of, you know, get this class up to a, to the level it needs to be. It's still early. And, and it's not only is it early, but it, it, it's an odd recruiting period. And, and so this isn't how most staffs would recruit most years. And that may give some staff certain advantages or disadvantages. I think, you know, Tucker seems like a pretty savvy guy with, technology and social media but that doesn't mean that his strength still isn't being in a living room or you know the 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 personal connections you make and and um if you're trying to make new connections and get i I think there are some disadvantages he has now this is you know i really thought this year was going to be the way you judged year one there'll be certain on-field things you want to see but primarily it was going to be about how he recruited and there are i think promising elements of that but even the recruiting part 
I think you got to give a little bit of a pass and wait, or at least a wait and see on just because these aren't normal times. And yeah. this is all being done so differently than, than they would probably prefer to do it. Yeah. And I mean, compounding that is the, the abnormality of how and when he was hired too. I mean, it really does compound that right at the, at the beginning, essentially of that recruiting cycle for these 2021 kids, but not at the start. I mean, at, you know, after, usually it's like after the, the December signing period, now that's when they start bringing guys for the 2021 class in for for basketball games and and all that that got hit reset in february you know when when d'antonio left and you brought in mel tucker that's it it becomes different it just becomes a a different situation even before this and now you you it it adds a layer of complexity um so i i I agree with you graham i think that even just getting these three-star guys right now the high-end three-star guys is important because these are building blocks to your program. And, you know, if, if you're able to sell them, you know, the next step is is getting those four-star guys. Maybe it's a guy like a Caden Salter, the quarterback, um, that they had a virtual visit with from Texas. I mean, he's a he, he's a four-star quarterback. You, you obviously, I mean, you think about D'Antonio's first recruiting class. He had Kirk Cousins, who wasn't even, a, I think, a two-star. I mean, think about the early D'Antonio recruiting classes. There were a lot of two-star guys in that after that transition. So, I mean, and, to and, be able to do this is, is important. Well, and, and the other thing is early on it's about, right, it's your ability to identify. Because I, I think what D'Antonio did so well for a long time was it, some of those were three stars. He did get four stars or a few five stars and two stars. But they identified kids they wanted, and they were very successful in not only finding diamonds in the rough but then developing and having an eye for that. And I think they got they, they, that they lost a little of that in, in the later years. But that's the thing we don't know about Tucker and this crew. Now, he's got some of D'Antonio's guys who are very successful with that. And, and you know, and, and Harlan Barnett and, and Mike Tressel and Ron Burton. But uh, that, that's something we're yet to see is do you, you know, are these are these guys, you know, are you are you able to evaluate better than other coaches? Can you and, coach them up? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and who knows when we'll be able to find that out or when they'll be able to find that out. Yeah, It's going to be the spring of 2021 based on the actions of Georgia and Florida and South Carolina and those states down there in SEC country. <laughs> that is what – I mean, that really could happen. I mean, you're starting to see – I'm starting to see more tweets about that from uh, from people who cover college football, uh, you know, nationally and just talking ADs and coaches. Because here, here's my theory on why that actually – we might wind up in the spring. It's – the element of the gate receipt, like you can play without fans, but what Michigan State's bringing in what five, six million a Saturday, and so if if you do that, and you're losing thirty five, forty million of you're losing the non TV revenue part of it. That I, if you can't play with fans, then I think it might be worth waiting. Though a lot of people just budgetarily, and so that that's the other the other component to that. Well, the what the the one thing that I think that needs to be put into this as well in, in if you're talking about moving a season to a spring where where's the rest and recovery component for the athletes after that sure. because you can't go right back to a fall season i mean there there's that's going to be a, an well, interesting discussion because th- th- i mean unless you go to a compact season followed by a compact season um to minimize the wear and tear on the athletes i think that's one thing that's you would be here'd be my argument against that in one situation is just that you do usually have a spring practice granted it's not a season it's very different 
and you usually do have all the conditioning and the, the and, and it goes into a, 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 a winter um and, and and so if you were done by the end of april and you have may june and you have a you're right your, your build-up would have to be if those guys have two full months off before you even have any conditioning or anything i it's, it's a good question chris about how if that's enough time for rest and recovery i think the problem is for, for for college athletics right is that it's such a everything relies on football so heavily and it's such a desperate uh, you, you can't you can't yeah. not have football you can't not have football I mean, they, and they know it and so it's like how, how do you how do you do it because you you need the finance of the football just to have everything else well and that's the thing is like there's so much of the the conversation that comes back to needing football and getting guys on the field that that you know, you worry about rushing things and not thinking about things like that. I mean, the the, the health component, you know, of the wear and tear of playing uh, however many games schedule, and then you turn it around without a, a full off season and and try and play a, a twelve game schedule a, a couple months later. Um, the the where is the situation going to be with the virus at that point? I, I, I talked to a high school friend of mine who's on the NCAA panel, uh, Dr. Amish Dalja. I mean, he's a, he, this is he's his specialty is infectious diseases, and people don't take into account that the the fact that this is you know these are guys that are you know they call them slobber knockers, right? I mean, you've heard that term with football for many years. Well, guess how the virus is transmitted? Slobbering. You know, I mean, the the, the physical component of playing football uh, it puts those guys at a higher risk for transmission amongst each other. Um, not to mention the fact that no one thinks about being in a locker room. You're a foot and a half away from someone. You're sharing a shower. You're sharing all these these situations with a hundred and some people. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into whether and how they can play this beyond simply just getting on the field. Um you know, I think that there's going to have to be a lot of discussions. And I think that it's smart for these colleges and administrators at both the athletic level and the administrative level within universities to have these discussions as a wide as wide ranging a possibility as possible. Just to, for those kind of answers and questions that need to come up that people don't think. All right. Good discussion there, guys. Let's transition from future Spartans to former Spartans, we have the NFL draft coming up this week. The first round starts on Thursday night. We do not expect any Spartans to be drafted in that first round, but we do see anywhere from four to five Michigan State players drafted in the later rounds with Kenny Willickus, Josiah Scott, Joe Bocci, Raekwon Williams, and Brian Lewerke. Uh, based on what you guys have seen, heard, read, talked to, uh, where do you kind of see these guys landing? Let's start with Kenny Willickus and you, Chris. Yeah, Wilkes is going to be an interesting guy. I mean, he's certainly going to get drafted. Um, you know, the question is, is he going to be a day two, day three kid? Um, and I think the same goes for Josiah Scott, but they're both in the same boat. They, they, they've got good tape. Um, Scott obviously has two years uh, on on Willikus in terms of the other direction. He's two years younger. Uh, he played as a true freshman, so he's got three years of, well, two and a half years after the, the, the knee scope. Which you know, from a wear and tear standpoint, in football is a good thing for for him looking at if you're a, a general manager. Um, but Willickus, I think he's he's a guy that just his motor is going to put him in that that maybe third, fourth round, uh, possibly fifth round kind of mix. Um, you know, you could put his hand in the ground 
uh, as we saw at, at Michigan State, but they could also use him in more of a hybrid linebacker situation at, at the NFL level. I'm curious to see how and where he lands to see where he'll be used and what in what respect. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I, I'm curious to see. I, I did not think he had a great year, and I thought he had a great junior year. And and um, you know, what was interesting is then he was sort of got a lot of the accolades and was the, the team MVP and all that stuff. And, and, and you see the videos of what, what he is athletically. And, and um, I, but I also think he saw a lot of attention this year that was different than any other year. Uh, and people were very wary of him. Uh, and he was I, coming know, off a broken leg. I think people always forget true. about that too. That's true. And, and, and but I, and I, I think he's a guy who will play in the NFL and play for a while because, you know, what is he, is he a dynamic athlete? Somebody is going to, um, you know, be a, a starting D end in the NFL. I, I don't know, but I, I think he's a guy whose whose motor will keep him in the league, and that justifies the mid round, the mid round draft pick. And 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 he's also a guy I would not count out though too. I mean, he's a guy we've we, we've seen the uh, the rise from walk on to to all American level, all Big Ten level player. And and when you when you do that, um, you know, there's always the question of ceiling, right? And and like one of the things. I would equate a little bit of like a Denzel Valentine in certain ways to a Kenny Willickis where you had a guy who was, you know, I mean, Valentine was a higher rated prospect, but he was not a, a, a McDonald's All-American or anything and built, turned himself into a great, great, great college basketball player. And the question always of these guys at the next level is, can they then turn themselves into a great, great pro or is there, are they at their ceiling? And, and, and that varies per guy. Yeah, and I think the other thing with Willickis in, in in talking to someone uh, within the the NFL uh, recently, uh, they told me they said one thing is if you get to the quarterback that if you're able to do that at the highest level in college, there's there's a, a place for you. You know that doesn't necessarily mean he'll be maybe a, a a three four down guy in the NFL. Maybe he's a pass, especially pass rusher. You know it'll be interesting to see. Uh, like I said, from a usage standpoint what that skill set turns into. Yeah, piggybacking on what Graham said, I def- someone with a motor like Willickis says, it seems like it's impossible for him not to stick around in the league for five to seven years at, at the minimum. And I think that if you look, if you watch the, the videos you mentioned and you see some scouts talk about them, everyone seems impressed with, you know, those those off-field, you know, attributes like that and jumping and running and stuff like that. What, what confuses me about all this and, and is – a guy who has an equally good motor and is not getting near the positive attention is Raekwon Williams. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Raekwon Williams was defined by his motor. You do not see defensive tackles, especially with that sort of motor, very often. And so I am I am a little bit – I understand the strength has always been an issue. Like that we, The get-off. The get-off factor is what I've heard. Yeah. Cause he, but even – and that shows up when – I mean, the guy, the guy bench presses 225 only five more times than I can do it. I got short arms, but the uh, you're talking about like 17 times as, as a defensive tackle. That's not a that's not a ferocious strength thing. And they, you know, with him and Mike Panashuk, they used to always say one was a mauler and one was the finesse guy. And so maybe there is a, a, a strength concern. But I've always thought that that Raekwon Williams. I think he's another guy who will stick in the league because of that motor. Um, he's big enough. I think he's strong enough. I think he's quick enough. And is technically sound enough to to do that. Now, you know, again, I'm not 
I've, I've predicted lots of guys would, would do well at the next level and haven't. So, yeah, and that's, I, you know, I think if you could have morphed those two guys into the same player, I mean, you're talking like a, a first or second day pick because Panashuk has, has the power um, without question. But, you know, when I talked to Daniel Jeremiah uh, last week, um, I mentioned Panashuk by name and he, he didn't have any information on him whatsoever. So that kind of tells you where he's at on, on teams boards, uh, despite that strength. Um, but they worked in tandem so well together and Williams, Williams is rangy and, you know, for, for a guy in the middle, he's, he, I mean, you know, the one thing that people forget and, and kind of get ignored with him is how many passes he deflected and batted down and altered, um, at the line of scrimmage. And that's, you know, if you've got active hands like that on top, uh, of, of of some pretty good moves to get into the backfield, uh, they'll find a place for you. And I, and I think the guy to me who kind of what you said about being an interesting case study is going to be Joe Bocce. Um, yeah. There's, there's going to be a role in the NFL for Joe Bocce, um, whether a team with his, his suspension takes a chance on him in the draft will be the question. Um, you know, uh, I think that he's got. He showed the talent sideline to sideline, uh, and Riley Bulla stuck in the league for a few years, and I think he's a better version of Riley Bulla. Sure, in, I, think he's, he's, I think he's. In, in, yeah, I think he's a bit of a, a hybrid between the, the two Bullas. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And he, he's, he's he, for a middle linebacker, just a natural, instinctual playmaker, a better athlete than people see. Not necessarily as sizable as some interior linebackers. Um, but you know, the, the beauty for Bocce, and, and I, I don't think there's any question we get drafted just based on projections. I think where is, is, is all, but is Bocce looks like the type of guy who will give you something on special teams to uh, right away, the type of build, the type of, you know, and, and so I think there's, there's, there's opportunities for him there to carve out roles as he tries to carve out a, a role in, in, a, in, a, in a regular down situation in the NFL. Yeah, and and especially if he wants to get on the field on defense, I mean, he shows the one thing that right now that that teams want and need from their linebackers and the ability to run in the open field and get to the ball. Um, if you can't, if you don't have that, you're not going to be able to play in the NFL at, at the linebacker spot right now, um, which I think he has shown that uh, over the course of his his four years at MSU. Uh, but again, I think that the the question will be, you know, is a team going to? I mean, from a talent standpoint. I think that you look at a guy like him and you say, boy, maybe he's a early third day guy, um, late second day guy, but probably more of an early third day guy without the the suspension. With the suspension, are teams going to take the risk or they think, well, we'll just wait and, and drop him uh, and pick him up as an undrafted free agent? Yeah, I don't think teams care about that in the NFL. That I, don't, I don't either, but, you know, some teams get squirrely about it. And it, it just takes one team. It really just takes one team. Uh, to to make that call. And yeah. The NFL is different than baseball and other things. I mean, all these guys are, are pushing the envelope on those things, and there's a lot of, you know, guys get suspended for four games, and we, we don't think about it anymore, right? It doesn't stain their career. It doesn't keep them out of the Hall of Fame. It doesn't, it, it, it's not something that follows their legacy. So I think he'll be all right. Um, I, I think Bocce's tape enough will be enough to overcome it. Like this is going back to 2019, but the the game where he bats the ball and has the interception on the same play to seal the game was that Utah State or was that Northwestern? I can't remember. But anyway, the point is like he the tape is the tape on him is good. He has 
that elite athleticism that you could that can play in the league, from my personal opinion. No, I mean he is. I mean, like you look at a, a Max Bulla who played in the league a little while, and you know Bulla was nowhere near the athlete that Bocce is now. He was a thumper, a little more down, but Bocce has. I, I think Bocce, I think Bocce is actually going to be a surprisingly solid pro. All right, let's. You guys did so good on the transitions to to Williams and Bocce made me feel irrelevant over here. Uh, let's <laughs> let's move on to the last defensive player here on our list in Josiah Scott. Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably the best prospect, at least the way the NFL sees it right now. Um, and you know, somebody that D'Antonio pegged right away and, and gave D'Antonio credibility in terms of his analysis for a player, because you know, Antonio said of 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 him when he was a uh, early enrollee that he was that you know reminded him of Darquez Denard and I don't know if he you know he's not as big as Denard so it's hard to, that's why he's not the prospect Denard was um, undersized but he's a guy who you know he, he's glued to you he's got great clothing speed uh, very comfortable in, in tight spaces and I, I he's got a lot of swagger to him I I, I think he's a I think he will be in the NFL as long as he stays healthy I mean you know sizes. A little bit of an issue there, but yes. but but he's a guy who will be you know I mean finding good cover corners is not always easy and and that I think he can do whether he, you know we saw this past year that teams stopped fearing him and started attacking him with sizable receivers on slant yeah. other things and Indiana and he, in particular yeah um, went at him a lot I mean there were a lot of teams that did that and I think that's that's going to be his detriment um you know is is he going to be an every down player in the NFL maybe not but he certainly is a guy who could add add to your nickel package because of those that coverage ability um he he tackles downhill uh which I think is a big thing you know I mean he, he's not afraid to get his nose in there on the run but but that size right now with the the way that the the league has gone to bigger Ranger receivers is going to be a situation where, you know, years past, maybe he's a, a second day guy, but he'll probably end up being probably at 5'10 and, you know, maybe 185 pounds soaking wet. Um, you know, he'll be a guy that I think probably falls into that third day category as well. All right, let's move on to our last guy here, probably the one everyone wants to talk about the most, maybe QB1 for Michigan State. Brian Lewerke, king of the NFL Combine hand size contest at 10 and 5 eighths inches, I believe, if I remember correctly. He, he's, yes. he's no Tony Banks. <laughs> what was Tony Banks's? I don't know, but the, the knock on Tony Banks was that he had the smallest hands in the NFL among quarterbacks and was fumble prone. Yeah, and yet he was the first QB taken in the 96 draft and probably had the best career out of, out of those 96 QBs. Yeah. If you go back and look at that draft, it is like the worst selection of QBs I think I've ever seen in my life. It's pretty crazy. People say hand size doesn't matter, but, you know, I'll, I'll give you one whose career was, I mean, it was a bad knee injury too, but it was also hurt by it. It was Dante Culpepper. That guy had tiny hands, and he constantly fumbled. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. It, it yeah. matters, and if you're a QB who fumbles, you may be a good QB, but that is one of the more irritating things in the world. Yeah, I've, yeah. Kind, of, I've kind of gone from Will Lewerke – I thought Lewerke wasn't going to be drafted at all. And I've kind of done a 180 on that here in the past, you know, a couple of weeks. So really look, I think, I think, I think he'll get picked. Where do you guys kind of, kind of see Lewerke? I think he'll be a seventh round pick. Where do you guys see going, him going? Yeah, it'll be a fringe thing. I think that he'll be on the cusp of that late round, early uh, undrafted free agent priority guy. You know, he, he's got the history, um, you know, that, that sophomore season, showed quite a bit he's got a lot of t tangibles in terms of numbers 
over the course of his MSU career. My question is, is he going to have the arm strength? That's the one thing that, that we saw between, and, and really, we did we see much development in the arm strength from his sophomore year on? You know, the shoulder injury didn't help, but the shoulder injury came after he was already trying to stretch the field vertically more his junior year and and was struggling at it. I mean, he wasn't, he, he didn't have the same uh, type of numbers uh, when he started to try and stretch the field vertically as he did in that sophomore season. But he's shown leadership. He's got mobility, um, a lot, both things that, that, that are necessary right now in this day, era of NFL quarterbacks. It'll be interesting to see, though, if someone takes a flyer on him in the draft because they're worried about it. And that, it could be a situation for him, too, where, hey, maybe it's a better deal to, to be an undrafted guy and pick your landing spot. I actually, where, where I disagree with Chris on this is just, I, I think his arm strength is fine. I think he's got a pretty live arm, but I, I think his accuracy, which he was never, has never been a strength. It wasn't a strength in high school, hasn't been. Like, that is the, the thing in the NFL that you have to be. You have to make the throw. You have to make the layups. You, you can't turn the ball over. You have to, you know, you have to hit your spots. And it, it, I don't know that, that he'll ever be that guy. And if you're not that guy, I mean, it, it, it to me, it's largely what's, you know, sidetracked Connor Cook's career. Um, now, the one thing that Lewerke has going that Cook did not is if you're going to have one quarterback on your roster as a backup, and that's really the hard thing now. You know, 20 years ago, it was every roster had three QBs. It was easier to make a roster. Now you got really two. And if you're going to be that guy and you're a cheap rookie and that, that helps you, uh, it helps if you're somebody people like having in your locker room, like having in a quarterback room with a veteran. I think that's one thing that helped a guy like Brian Hoyer and hurt a guy like Connor Cook. If you're Tom Brady and you got to spend all day every day with one other player, Connor Cook's got a little too much bro in him, you know, and and like the conversation with Brian Hoyer, a little different. And I think that Lewerke will fit more into that Hoyer uh, personality, which I think will help. Um, but the accuracy thing I, I, is—it will be very interesting to see if, if that's something when he is in a um, in a camp, and uh, because even if he's drafted, he will not be drafted high enough to really be guaranteed a roster spot. He's going to have to show it. Uh, and what gets very interesting now for a guy like him is if we don't—there are no mini camps. There are no. So here's a guy who's going to have to go into July, and maybe or whenever the season starts, maybe with a, a training camp situation. And without, you know, full grasp of, uh, you know, an offense or other things, really try to win a job. And, and I wonder if teams will be hesitant to go with unproven rookies like him or, or really give them a chance versus somebody who's been in the league four or five years that, that's a little more a little more certain. I do agree with you on the accuracy, too. You know, that I think is devolved. Um, I thought his sophomore year he was accurate on those short and intermediate routes. Um, and that's, that's kind of – you know, post shoulder injury, that kind of went away. I thought that, but even before that, I mean, you, you think back to that 2018 season uh, when he, before he did get hurt, you know, he made a concerted effort to try and stretch the field. And as he got further out, the, the, the accuracy wasn't there. Even think about the bowl game that year or the, the 2017 bowl game. I mean, the Felton Davis touchdown in the holiday bowl, I mean, he had him wide open in stride, and he underthrew him by a, a good five yards. I mean, it took an adjustment by 
by Felton Davis to make that catch and then the speed afterward to score. So, I mean, to me, I, I don't know about where the arm strength is, but the accuracy, you're right, I think is a bigger component for him that, that he needs to, to show better. All right, let's switch sports here. Going from football to basketball, talk a little recruiting here. It's going to be an interesting, you know, maybe week or two here for the Spartans. They've got two high-profile targets they are close to landing, or at least in the conversation for, and that is Kareem Manet and Pierre Brooks. Kareem Manet is a guy who it was a five-star guy at one point. He's not not only three stars or twenty-four-seven, but nah, that's I think there's that's the composite. There's some I think there's some, some places where he's not on the recruiting board or yeah, no, so on the radar. He's he's a five-star talent. Okay. Let's put it that way. And he's also a guy who is considering not playing college. So we'll be interesting to see what his decision will be there. Pierre Brooks announced his final three: Michigan State, Michigan, and Xavier. And I believe he is supposed to announce tomorrow, which will be Wednesday. Wednesday. Do you guys believe? that uh, Michigan State will land either one of these guys. Chris? Well, the Manet thing is interesting because, I mean, he was supposed to take a visit to Michigan State right before they closed the Canadian borders and right before everything got shut down uh, from a recruiting standpoint in the Big Ten, So, and really in the rest of the country as well. So, you know, he, he's a kid that they've kind of targeted here late in the process with, with an open spot at guard after the Jalen Terry decommitment um, and a high-end kid. Um I think it'll be interesting to see because I know Marquette had been in the mix for him for quite a while, but they've, I mean, they picked up DJ Carton, a lot of other things. That, that they've they've thrown a lot of offers at a lot of different guards, and I, it'll be interesting to see. I think it, it could be a situation where he does there. Um, you know, I'm sure people are wondering about the G League situation when when they've seen some top prospects uh, signed, but I but Manet is older. He's he's I believe twenty. Um, or about to turn, he'll turn 20 here before uh, the NBA draft. So he's eligible for the NBA draft from an age standpoint. He doesn't have to worry about that. Um, the question, in talking to his high school coach in Canada, though, he did say that he he it still sounds like college is the route for him. Brooks will be interesting. I don't know, Graham. What's your thought on Pierre Brooks? I mean, this is a kid, which will be interesting because if if Manet is a, a one and done guy, um, you basically then could fold that into the next guy in Brooks. Right. Yeah. They're different classes. So it is. And, and Brooks is, I think, um, you know, what's so weird about Michigan state's roster now, it's, it's hard to, to, you know, you don't know hundred percent what's going to happen with, with Xavier Tillman. You, you don't know. I mean, you think Aaron Henry's coming back, but you're not hundred percent sure. You don't know what's happened with Joshua Langford, which I think impacts these guys greatly because it impacts where you're going to play rocket Watts next year. Um, and so there's a lot of things that are, are hard to, to, to know for sure. Uh, the Brooks kid, I mean, you know, he's a big, big shooting guard. You know, I, I think he's a talented kid. I, I think it would be a heck of a get. Um, and to have somebody that early, you know, if, you know, I, I think it's interesting that he's going to commit this early. And I, it may speak to just wanting to get it, it done with. It may speak to the fact that there's probably not going to be an AAU summer circuit that's normal. Yeah, that's a good point. And so th- there are a lot of things that, that are different than, than, than usual. Um, the Monet thing is, is it obviously impacts next season's team. And so it, it's, it's more, more critical in some ways. And it's interesting because I, I do think if you're going to add a freshman guard, unless you really know what's going to happen with Joshua Langford already, and, and they may have a real feeling within that, that, that they're not sharing, but then it needs to be a, an extreme talent. And Monet seems to be that because me otherwise what you want is much more of a grad transfer guy who can run the point and 
because if, if, if a regular freshman, most freshmen, you already have one freshman combo guard who I think could develop into a pretty good player, and A.J. Hoggard coming in. You, you don't need more developmental guys. You don't need anybody who's going to be further down on the totem pole than a foster lawyer or anything like that. You, you need guys who are impact guys, and, and Manet seems to be that. Um, and, and, and obviously, you know, where you, what position you play, Rocket Watts will determine a lot of next year. So, I, you know, if you go – if Manet commits to MSU and Joshua Langford is also staying, and really regardless, I think you're going to see Rocket Watts primarily at the one. And uh, But, again, all, but all that but – there, But there's definitely a priority there to get bigger, better ball handlers. Yeah. I mean, you saw it when they, when they signed A.J. Hoggard. Now you, you, you've got Watts, who isn't necessarily a traditional point guard, but – has shown, at least over the course of his freshman year in a backup capacity shown that he's capable of handling it and maybe having kind of like a Keith Appling type impact on a game where he could he he stars and shines with the ball in his hands um and if you do get Manet he's another guy that he's probably more of I think Hoggard I've heard is more of a 2-1 whereas yep. as Manet is more of a 1-2 so I, you know that I don't think you can have enough ball handling. I think you've seen no. that over the course of the last couple of years with the amount of minutes that Cassius Winston played, uh, and out of necessity in a lot of respects because they didn't have that second guy that that you felt comfortable with after after Tum Tum was done, and even even at the end of Tum Tum's career, you know he he was a, a essentially a a three dimensional player who wasn't able to to get you the you know three out of five you know I think tools um he didn't have the scoring you knew they were playing one man down on offense you you want guys that can that can handle the ball but also be a threat to score no and i i agree and, and i i think the one thing about the the iso i think leaned a little too much on the uh rocket watts appling comparison because while there are some real comparisons to them especially defensively and, and the way they turn a corner and all that stuff rocket watts has a much natural more natural feel is a point guard. I mean, he's much more equipped for that position early. And I was talking to Mike Garland yeah. about that late in the year. And he just said, they're just, those two are just very different. Like Appling is a freshman. There was just no chance you could really play him at the point. And you saw, I, I thought the Illinois game for a lot of reasons was a big moment for, for Watts because not only did he have offensively this breakout moment where he carried them for a while, but then you wind up with this set where you have Xavier Tillman and Cassius Winston, both on the bench in foul trouble in the second half. And for five minutes, Rocket Watts, not only ran the show, but I mean, he really ran a disciplined show. Like he understood in that moment, and that night he said he thought he'd be next year's point guard. I think he thinks he'll be the point guard. The question for them is, like, if he's the point guard, what do you lose in those other components that he gives you, and are those worth losing? And and I think those are some things they've got to wrestle with a little bit. What do you want to put on his plate? What? How do you want him to develop? And 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 I think those are those are those are tough, not easy questions because what he was becoming as an off guard is something special and do you hinder that progress do you are you really a better team if you take him away from that that's where the langford situation comes into play um because sure. first of all you don't know what kind of player you're going to get back i think you know the, the russell bird situation when you have multiple foot injuries has to be a, a, a talked about and has to be thought about with the langford injuries i mean you're talking about a second surgery on the same foot in less than a year um right. then at what level are you going to get him back and when, you know, I, I kind of extrapolated out his first surgery was in February of 2019 and he wasn't back on a court until August or September that year. And that was too quick. 
obviously, because then you had other situations pop up. So now you look at this. He has surgery again in December. So if you talk about a six month recovery from from the first one that wasn't quick, that was too quick of a return. Uh, now you're looking at eight months. That puts him back into a late summer timetable. And then to me, I think you still have to add a little bit extra on top of that because it is his second surgery in a year and he's, he's coming off of it that you're going to err on the side of caution. So who knows where he might be when, when play does resume uh, for him. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what his decision-making process will be either in this, which I think is, is, is part of it. He wants to play pro um, who knows what kind of options there will be overseas for guys with this pandemic going on and depending on where and when, uh, you know, some countries might even shut down their league. Some teams, some leagues might shut out foreign players. Who knows? I mean, there's so many things that are unknown with this that are, it's kind of a wild time to try and extrapolate out what might happen. Yeah. I think for Langford, it, it makes more sense than ever to come back and, Oh yeah. And, and I, so I, I, I really, uh, if I were him, not, you know, he should do whatever he wants. But if I were him and, and, and basket, playing some level of professional basketball was my goal and to play, make as much money doing that for a little while and, and, and have a, a career I enjoyed, my, I think I would, I would lean toward coming back. And, uh, but that, that it, it, it is an interesting situation because it's, uh, we, we don't know what's going on with a lot of things. And, but that impacts, I think, what Michigan State really needs next season on, on its roster. Okay, I want to introduce the Gannett Crystal Ball. Where do you guys, who do you think, what team or what destination do you think Manet and Pierre Brooks will choose? Boy, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, Brooks is obviously the more immediate one. Um, you know, if those are the three finalists, I mean, I know that that was initially reported and then pulled back a little bit. I'm curious though to see. I, I, I think I think though that they've been after Brooks for a while. I, I'll I would be surprised if he doesn't end up at MSU. Manet, I'm as a coin flip to me, um, because just because they got in on him late, and but I do think that everything, all the components that from talking to his coach are there. You know, the willingness to accept coaching, the desire to get better, and hard coaching as well. Uh, I think that. You know, in in talking to his high school coach, he said his, his, he pushed him like that. His dad wants him like that. So I, maybe 51-49 Michigan State. Yeah, I'm kind of with Chris on this. I, I you know, I really don't have a feel for what Manet will do. And part of this is I, I've just seen so many recruits that Michigan State thought they were going to get right at the end. Not, you yeah. know, so there's a part of me that just I just I, I picture him going elsewhere. So I would probably go 51 elsewhere, 49 Michigan State. But that's just that's just. I mean, that's just me based on my own gut and history. Yeah, Brooks seems more like he might be in, in MSU's fold, and, and I'll be very curious to see what, what happens there. I've not talked to the kids, and he's a 17-year-old. And, like, I'll give him some credit for this. I'm about tired of kids saying, here's my top seven. Like, how narcissistic do you got to be to release a top seven? Or, and, and I'm going to give you my top 15, and then I'm going to cut it to my top 12. Right. And then next month, I'm going to cut it to seven. With, and here's with, three, with three new schools in there. <laughs> yes. And, and if you want to be my favorite recruiting reporter of all time, for anybody out there who, who does this for a living, next time a kid says, these are my top 12, 10, 7, whatever, and this is the date I'm committing, call them on hogwash because nobody decides like that. That's not the human process of decision-making. I can't tell you – and you can't decide on May 5th 
I now know what I will want to do if right now there are 10 schools I'm interested in. That's not humanly possible. Somebody needs to call the bull on that with these kids. I don't care if you're 17 years old. You're old enough to be called bull on that. And that you're not in middle school. Let, let, let's not let's not do that. If you have 10 schools and you think you're, you're going to know on May 2nd, then you don't have 10 schools now. And be fair to those schools. Begin to be an adult. Anyway, that's one of the things that's been on my mind for a little bit. I'm a little annoyed at kids for that. Well, since I introduced the Gannett Crystal Ball, I am going to participate as well. I think Vinay will go pro, and I think Brooks chooses Michigan State. That's just – obviously, I have the same – I don't have any, you know, inside information. That's just reading the tea leaves and what's kind of out there. So we'll maybe we'll maybe see. they're a package deal. Maybe they're <laughs> a package deal. Maybe you get Manet for one year and then Brooks after that. All right, let's move on to Twitter questions here. Sparty Homer asks, "Do you think Brian Lewerke gets drafted? Who will be MSU starting QB in 2020 if there's a season? We're going to get the MSU starting QB season. I think every time until September or whenever the first game is. <laughs> Lewerke getting drafted is." Yeah, I really don't know. I, I have no idea what people see. I would tend to think not, um, but I think it'll be close. You know, as Chris alluded to earlier, um, if I had to, you know, usually when you see these things, like just just going based on the history we've had and, and, and the history I've had covering uh, drafts and, and prospects, usually when people say, "Hey, they're a potential sixth or seventh round pick," they're not. And usually when they're a potential fourth or fifth, they wind up fifth or sixth. You know what I mean? Usually, the 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 what people are being touted as they often wind up sliding around further. That's not always the case, but that just that's just my experience with this. Um, and as I have no idea the starting quarterback, and I don't think Michigan State knows. Yeah. And 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 because these guys haven't had the spring practice, they haven't had the fall camp. And I, I don't think it, it's just guessing would be just guessing based on very little information, because I, I just I don't I don't think anybody has an idea yet. Yeah, and I think you would have a better idea if it was the same coaching staff from a year ago. Sure. That that adds a component completely different. We, we don't know exactly what Jay Johnson wants uh, in terms of a quarterback, and until he sees them working in a competitive environment, uh, he won't know. Well, well, Sparty Homer, if I'm going to try to parse the tea leaves from what they have said, I think that is a no from Graham on Lewerke getting drafted, and I think Chris says yes. No, oh, with Lewerke, Lewerke, I mean, I, I, again, I think, I, I like I said, late late draft, um, you know, or a, a priority undrafted guy. Um, I think a lot of it's just going to be dependent on whether another team feels that someone else is going to jump in and take the take the the gamble on him and they if if they want to if they if someone's identified him they might feel that he can slip through into undrafted free agent territory and just sign him that way lsj softball teammate paul henderson asked what should we make of the recruiting mel tucker has done is this a standard around the country are other universities securing commitments like mel during the stay-at-home order yeah uh, there are, there are yeah, schools yeah. that are getting them i mean that's there's, there's definitely schools that are landing commitments but you know, it's like Graham mentioned. It's a it's a different time for all these guys, and from Nick Saban on down, uh, in terms of trying to to sell a program. The one difference for Mel Tucker that that those guys don't necessarily have is the new, new coach aspect. You know, new coach, new spot, only one year of of a background. So I, I think, like I said earlier, to me the the ability to land pretty decent recruits. Without much of that that uh, history, says something about the charisma that he has in the recruiting front. Al Karsten asks, uh, "Who is the first four-star commitment under Mel Tucker? Has Mel mentioned at all the importance of creating pipelines to powerhouse high schools, i.e., Dematha Catholic?" Uh, I don't. I don't know who it'll be. I mean, there's no way of knowing that. Um, 
and and no, I mean we really haven't talked to, to Tucker. I, I mean I think it's you know the, the the I'm trying to remember everything he said in different conversations, and Chris can, might be able to might have a different memory of this, um, but it, it's certainly relationships are everything in recruiting, and and you know one of the things that Mike Tressel has talked about and Harlan Barnett and Ron Burton, the guys who are back from D'Antonio is the ability to walk into the same high school year after year. And some of those places around Columbus and uh, you know, there is incredible value in relationships with high school coaches who call you when they have a guy. And and, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that that's something he and and every coach wants to do. All right. Nate Breen ask best game you've witnessed in person, best player you've seen play in person, Worst coaching decision you've witnessed in person? Jeez, I know. What's a? I mean, that's that's, a that's lot, one of those things. It would take a long time to answer. Um, boy, I mean, best game probably. I, I would maybe say the the Rose Bowl was right there from the the stage to the to the way the game played. From best player I've seen play in person, probably Michael Vick. Uh, would cover his his redshirt freshman year at Virginia Tech. He's hands down the best individual player I've I've ever covered and worst coaching decision I've witnessed in person. I'm still going to go uh, there. Probably the decision at Maryland a couple years ago with D'Antonio running a fake field goal at the end of the first half with the need to score a touchdown and from like 40 some yards out, which was bizarre. The, the worst coaching a lot it might have been a year earlier for me that was uh you know I I've seen a few and so this maybe isn't fair to also include D'Antonio, but the uh was it the end around jet sweep, whatever it was with uh Jamal Lyles Nebraska and on fourth and one. That and, and if it works it's obviously a little more but it was it just the play just was like what and so there have been a, there have been a few like that, but that would be that would be one that, that stands out in my mind. It may not be a hundred percent hundred percent fair. You could argue the 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 prevent defense on you know fourth and thirteen against Arizona State one so one so hot either. Best athlete that I have covered, and and it, it, that's a weird thing to do because I I've you know filled in on a number of beats, but not like covered consistently. Like I've covered some you know been a backup Tigers guy. During Miguel Cabrera's prime, and that's- I, I think we should just stick it to college football. To college me. football, okay. Well, in, in college football, it, it is probably not even at Michigan State, and Michigan State has not had a lot of real high first round. I, mean, I, I, I didn't cover Charles Rogers or anything like that. It was probably Greg Jennings um, when when I covered the, the one year I covered him at Western Michigan. The guy just I, I I think I saw him drop one pass. Like I just never. You could throw him on fourth and one, and it was like safer than a run. It was, I mean, he was just better than everybody. Nobody could catch him. Um, it would probably be the best athlete. What was the other part of that question, Phil? There was one more component. Uh, best game you've witnessed in person. So the game that always stands out. That I mean, the, the, you know, Duke MSU is phenomenal. There have been a number of, uh, but the, the one that always stands out is just like a game that I really, really enjoyed. Always go back to 2012. Uh, Big Ten championship game, Ohio, Big Ten tournament championship game, Ohio State, Michigan State. And uh, it was just physical but fluid and epic. And the teams had split during the year, and you'd had that emotional finale. And there was just a lot, I, I don't know, whatever. It's, when people ask me, that's just a game that pops in my head, one I really, really like enjoyed just from a watching perspective. Yeah. And that, I stuck just as college football, but, you know, from a basketball standpoint, that Duke game last year 
um, was was something to behold because of the Zion Williamson factor and Michigan State having the history with Duke that they did and then pulling that out. And the, and the, uh, the, the fourth quarter of uh, – we're just going football. The fourth quarter of the first Cotton Bowl against Baylor. That, that was unbelievable. Game, yeah, yeah. It, was pretty, it was pretty pretty amazing. All right, I think that'll wrap up Twitter questions. The other questions are related to recruiting and then the starting QB for Michigan State, and I think we've kind of yeah. covered those territories pretty well. I think that'll wrap up the podcast, unless you guys have anything else you want to talk about. Did you guys watch The Last Dance on Sunday night? What did you guys think? Or I don't, I don't know. If, I mean, we're, Graham and I grew up closer to Chicago, so I don't know if Chris being in Pennsylvania has different allegiances or didn't follow Jordan and the Bulls that closely then or, or whatnot. But uh, I was I was a Pistons guy, and uh, but you still couldn't. You know, because there was no team in Western Pennsylvania, and the closest team was the the Cavaliers. Yeah. Um, that was the you know that they they took hold of the nation um, without a doubt. And you know, by the time they got to ninety seven, ninety eight, I was at Michigan State, and you know the proximity was was a lot different. And but I mean, it was it's it, so far. I, I'm you know two episodes in. I'm hooked on it. Well, yeah. well told, well told yeah. stories. Yeah, I'm hooked as, as well. And, you know, it, it's interesting with all these guys. I, you know, I hated that. Magic's from Lansing. I hated Magic growing up because I was a Pistons guy. I hated Michael growing up because I was a Pistons guy. But as you get, you know, but you, you learn to appreciate him. And, and I heard somebody say, and I can't remember who it was, there was a point in time, and probably about the time the Pistons run was over and they got bad, but there was a point in time where the uh, dislike for Michael became an appreciation for Jordan. And it was probably around 93 because I have a, a VHS tape of his 55-point game in the 93 finals against the Phoenix Suns. And the tape the tape also includes the finale of Saved by the Bell and the premiere of Saved by the Bell, the college years. Um, so the, it's a good tape. It's worth a lot. And I think the Cheers finale may be on there as well. So it's it's it's, it's a good – so it. around there, I'm really appreciating. But, yeah, I've enjoyed the hell out of the last dance, and I, I am pretty – and, and look, it, it, I think it's – like even like my wife is not a big sports person, but – I think she'll enjoy it. She likes the 30 for 30s they do, and I'm going to have her watch watch it as well. Yeah, the episode three uh, is features is going to feature Rodman and the Bad Boy Pistons. So I think I'm very excited yep. to see my timeline for that first hour on Sunday night, Twitter timeline for the first hour on Sunday night. So well, we should do this yeah. again, guys. Could be this could be a, month. Yeah. Could be next week. You know who who knows. We'll see what happens. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.